there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This is the Straight Up Breakdown Podcast. Exclusively on the Herd App Media Network. Tell it to me straight up. Hello, and welcome into the Straight Up Breakdown Podcast, proudly part of the Hale Varsity Network. I am Greg Smith. You are, I'm actually still debating if I'm going to go and see this new uh, Space Jam, A New Hope, or whatever it's called, uh, movie uh, starring, you know, current Lakers superstar LeBron James. Uh, my guest today is already shaking his head at me. Uh, I am joined by uh, Derek Peterson, staff writer and football guy for Hale Varsity. Derek, thank you for being back on the show. How are you? Always good to be on. Thank you for having me on. A couple things that I would like to point out. Uh, we only recognize one Space Jam movie on uh, the Hale Varsity Network of Podcasts. Okay. And that is Michael Jordan's Space Jam. Um, another thing, I appreciate you having me on. This is I've made multiple appearances on this podcast. And I think I've been on, I don't think, I know I've been on Brandon Vogel's podcast, the ID Preview. Have yet to be on the other two. So something's going on there. We're going to have to get that rectified. Um, so, and then the last the last comment that I wanted to make was just, uh, I was in a movie theater this weekend for the first time since the pandemic started. I went and saw uh, the new Black Widow movie with my wife. Okay. Very cool. Very cool to hear the uh, Avengers song playing in the background at a movie theater again. So go see that instead of the new Space Jam movie. Yeah, I definitely will see that in the theaters. I still haven't actually, this is going to stun anyone listening to this that knew, like has followed along with me for any amount of time. I have not seen the new Fast and Furious movie yet, um, mostly because we were, you look shocked too, um, mostly because we were out of town when it came out. And I have my initial plan was I wanted to find a way to go and do it while we were in California. Um, it did not happen. So we have to figure that out. But I am actually going to the to a movie theater for the first time. We're recording this on Monday. Uh, when Wednesday um, to see In the Heights. We are going to do that. There's like an event that's happening here, Lincoln, that we're going to be able to do that. So I am looking forward to that because we do go to movies or used to go to movies all the time. So I am looking forward to being back in a theater. Um, now, we did not, I did not have Derek on just to talk about movies, though we could do that. I could probably make this entertaining and get there for about a solid hour. Yeah, you're um, my movie guy. You're my yeah, movie we, guy. we could do that. Um, and, and at some point, I do plan on doing that. Um, today is not that day um, because every t- every uh, episode, we start off the show with a segment called Coach Speak, where we go over something that a coach, player, or talking head said. Um, and then we kind of tell you what they really meant. Coach Speak to Real Talk. This week, for the first time ever, the Coach Speak comes courtesy of my esteemed guest. So Derek is the person um, that we are bringing on the Summer Jam screen here. Um, and I'm going to ask you about your uh, headline, actually, that is up on HaleVarsity.com right now from your Sunday column um, or your Monday column that runs early on Sunday. Um, the headline is, looking at defensive uh, position rankings in the Big Ten and wondering what the Huskers need to do to see some love. So Derek, what did you really mean by that? It's interesting that this segment is normally reserved for people who are very smart and knowledgeable in their given field, uh, <laughs> in this instance, football. And this column that we're doing where you're, you're breaking trend for the first time, uh, this column has a kicker that says this local dummy thinks they can. I just think that <laughs> that's great. <laughs> a little bit of irony. Thank you for that. Um, yeah. So a week ago, this, this column was the second part of a two part, like look at just uh, Phil Stills, Phil Steele's position rankings. Uh, he just ranked the top 60 groups, uh, quarterback, wide receiver, running back, offensive line. And then on the defense, he had defensive line, linebacker, and defensive backs. And if you weren't in the top 60, then you were in the unranked category with just the miss big jumble of, of bottom half of the country units. Basically, are you average or above average? And if you're not in the top 60, uh, then you are, I guess, technically below average. Um, Nebraska was about where I expected them to be offensively, defensively. Uh, Nebraska was unranked on the defensive line. The Big Ten had eight schools in the top 60. Um, Northwestern 
closed us out at number 58. Uh, the Big Ten had four programs in the top 60 for linebackers. Uh, Wisconsin at number six, Penn State 15, Iowa 21, Ohio State 30. Nebraska was unranked in that, which was um, a little, you know, caught my eye a little bit, um, particularly because, you know, a lot of the advanced stuff right now really loves JoJo Delman. Nebraska's got just a ton of stuff coming back. And then defensive backs where, I mean, I can make the case that Nebraska has, you know, the, the best or second best group of defensive backs in the Big Ten. Uh, Nebraska was number 54 nationally and 10th in the Big Ten. Indiana was number seven, Iowa, number nine, Wisconsin, number 10, and then so on and so forth. And like, and, and like I made the point, I was like, I mean, it's hard to argue with Indiana being there. They've got a really, really good collection of, of cornerbacks. Um, your guy, Tom Allen has done well recruiting yeah. uh, defensive backs to that program. And they've got, I mean, if you, if you, if you don't have Cam Taylor Britt as your number one corner in the big 10, then you've got Taiwan Mullen from, mm-hmm. from Indiana as your number one corner in the big 10. So that one was fine, but just seeing Nebraska so low, um, it was interesting because a lot of us here locally expect that to be the stronger of, of the two sides of the football for Nebraska this fall. Um, and, and think that, you know, we can say that with a, with a good deal of confidence. There's just a lot of questions on the offensive side, not as many questions on the defensive side. They return just about everything. Um, Bill Connolly's returning production metric, Nebraska's ninth nationally in returning defensive production, which it's a, it's a, it's a little bit of a weird year because so many people were able to come back that returning production is going to be a little wonky um because it's just not normal but usually returning production is is a a good indicator of improvement year over year and if you look at nebraska they've shown defensive improvement both statistically and with the eye test at all three levels each year since chenander took over um and sort of the numbers that i pointed to you look at havoc rate it went with it went from 10 percent, 10.4 percent in 2017 to 17.3 percent last year, um, which is a pretty big jump. The national average in 2017 was 16%. Nebraska ranked 129th out of 130 FBS programs and havoc rate. Now that's just, it's exactly what it sounds. How tackles for loss, uh, passes defended and forced fumbles. How many of those do you create as a function of plays faced as a defense? Um, which is really what this defense wants to do under Eric Schneider, this three, four attacking scheme, just make a bunch of splash plays and it doesn't necessarily matter if you give up a bunch of yardage because if you're making those splash plays, then, you know, odds are we're going to be getting the ball back for our offense, that kind of thing. Um, Nebraska's improved there, but also they've improved significantly as a run-stopping unit. They go from, in 2017, they were 124th nationally in yards per carry allowed at 5.6. Last year, they were at 4.2, which was tied for 56 nationally. So they've jumped up into the top half of the country and like, I've written a couple times um, this offseason the difference between 56th where they're at now or where they were at last year, excuse me, and like a top 25 defense, so number 25 in yards per carry allowed is a half a yard. Um, so you can kind of get there organically if you just take out some of the missed tackles, things like that. Um, some of the the mental mistakes, you it's 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 probably pretty easy to, to get there, but you know, it might not, you know, like the difference between four point like one yards and 4.2 yards allowed on average. It's not, it's not, I mean, it's not significant where Nebraska made a ton of strides last year um, that mattered a ton was on third down defensively. Um, They gave up 54% conversion rate on third down in the first six, uh, first four games of the year. And then they gave up a 24 and a half percent conversion rate on third down in the last four games of the year. Now I extrapolated, which is not reliable to do, but they went from one of the worst third down defenses in the country to literally the best third down defense in the country over the last four games. Um, and so you take all that into account. The fact that, you know, we know because we, we study it so closely, they have made strides both recruiting and in the weight room, at just upping the physical profile of this football team, um, particularly in the front seven, but not specifically in the front seven. Um, and then you take into account everybody's coming back and you think, yeah, this defense absolutely should be primed to make a jump. And so when you're talking about preseason projections, they kind of 
check all of the boxes that you would want to see for a group that you were projecting as one of the, you know, the top 25 or so units in the country. They've got playmakers and Cam Taylor, Britt and Jojo Doman that are some of the best at their position respectively. Um, and then you just got a lot of guys coming back. So to see them sort of not get the love that probably us locally think they um, should have, I'm not going to say deserve, cause I don't know if they deserve it yet, which is part of the problem um, was an interesting thing for me. And I, and I put in that piece that it's probably um, it's probably a reality check between the way that they are actually viewed and the way that we think they can be viewed later on. Now, usually if you're talking about projections, you're going to be leaning more towards like the latter camp. Right. Okay. But like, it just seemed like, like I was shocked by it. I was taken aback to see Nebraska particularly so low in the defensive back rankings. But then I thought, I mean, it's not really that big of a deal. And it probably just shows like, this is, this is how people view them. This is where they're at. And they still have work to be done to prove that they are, you know, deserving of being a top 25 unit, which we all think they, they can become. Yeah. And, and that's really, man. So that's why on one hand, I, I was like you taken aback to see the rankings um, because I, I, I do think that they're better, particularly for me really on the defensive line than what they got credit for here in these rankings, um, but also in the secondary. And you can also make the argument for the linebackers as well. Um, but at the same time, I, I can see how you get there and projecting them because like you said, they haven't earned it, but then the purpose of projecting is saying, we think this is going to happen or this is where they're going to end up being. So you would then think because of the returning production that they would then get a little bit of the benefit of the doubt with that. Um, but to play devil's advocate on that, like, like we've kind of said, like they don't necessarily deserve that unless you really look at kind of the back end of last year and you see kind of what the production was there and how well they, the defense played down the stretch. So I could kind of, I kind of go either way, but it is difficult to, to see <laughs> these numbers and to just say, okay, I, I'm totally in agreement with you. If you're going to put Indiana as the top defensive back unit in the conference, okay, fine. After that, I think you kind of basically have a mixed bag like, and in fact, like a team like Wisconsin gets the benefit of the doubt that I guess they've earned over a course of time. Um, the same with Iowa, whereas Nebraska really doesn't. The thing that really gets me is like, okay, you want to say that even though it's what eight spots, Michigan State's defensive backfield is better than Nebraska's. I, I don't know about that. Like, I would wonder that if you went ahead and if you called up the two defensive coordinators and you said, let's get on a conference call and we want you guys to trade defensive back rooms, like if Eric Tenander would just start swearing, like I, it would be, <laughs> uh, I don't know that, the, you know, the Nebraska side would want to do that necessarily. Um, and so it's just interesting. And that's why I wonder, like, if you start to make these lists halfway through the season or later on, like when you start to talk, when people start talking about, oh, this is the best unit, uh, best defensive line units in, in the Big Ten or in the country. If you'll see Nebraska be able to shoot up some of those types of lists, um, just because I, I, there's a lot of room for growth, because I just think that the uh, this is another example of what we all kind of think about this season anyway, regardless of like you're, you know, on the team, you're a coach on the team, you're a fan, you're an analyst, you're a media member, whatever. Like everybody is kind of in, they've got to just go out there and do it mode. And I think that these re rankings really reflect that. Yeah. And I know that this is, this is not the entertaining take, but it's a little, to me, it feels a little bit like something that you said a couple of days ago when we were talking about PFF ranking the top 20 coaches in college football, like once you get outside, like the Davos, Nick Saban's, mm -hmm. it's really a, about preference in terms of how you're, you're ordering. Um, so like, you know, Ohio state has in Phil Steele's eyes, the number one defensive line in the big 10 and the number four defensive line in the country. That's fine. That's justifiable and it's quantifiable um, beyond that. It's really kind of preference and what you want and what you want to look for and things like that. Um, and so like, you know, one person could argue that Nebraska's defensive backfield is better than Iowa's. And one person could argue that it's not. 
um, you know, not to like stick on the defensive backs, but it is the thing that I looked at and I was like, this is a lot of preference is, you know, Indiana statistically in some of the areas that you look at that would signal like elite secondaries, they weren't really elite in some of the, the numbers that you look at. They just have a lot of really talented players that you look at and say, yeah, that's a really talented player. Right. Um, and, you know, I could argue because I've watched them a ton that Nebraska has those guys. Um, but, you know, like the fact of the matter is this was a team that gave up 29 points a game last year and went three and five. So like, right. you know, until they start winning um, defensively, it's going to be a situation. And I mean, we've seen Nebraska players deal with this for years and years um, you know, when they move on to like the next level, next level, and they go through um, draft processes, they, they're just, they're devalued a little bit because of the team success. And so um, like if Nebraska had gone five and three last year and not three and five, uh, but the defense played exactly the same, they'd probably be a top 40, top right. 30 unit viewed defensively i mean bill conley's s&p plus projections for the season have them at 19 nationally which is which is about where i think they should be yeah it's, it's kind of it's wild how in this in that specific example two games really makes a huge difference in kind of the perception right um and you could find those two games on the schedule based off of how the results went last year um and flip them and things would be dra- viewed i think drastically different um for this program and i think that it's there are just so many components of this season that are really interesting to me, or we say intriguing, because we're going to get to that in a second. Um, but this defense and how you end up viewing them and like the potential for them, which I think without putting words in your mouth, I, you, I, you and I are in agreement that the defense's potential is very high. Like I think that the defense could be really, really good this year. Um, because even, and I was thinking about this recently, like even as much as like fans harp on the outside linebackers on the team, like I think you actually get solid play from that group. It's just the difference between having that Khalil Mack style, like wreaking havoc on every play disruptive outside linebacker that can get after the passer and not. But in just having solid guys at the position, that's where I think Nebraska is in now. I don't think that they have guys at outside linebacker that are like actively costing you out there. It's just whether or not those guys can wreak enough havoc um, to really stand out and make impact plays. Let's break that down. Outside well, I, of Joe Pinto. they That's the guy. They do. They do have that guy. It's just not – he just doesn't look like – he doesn't look like a Khalil Mack. He doesn't look like what has become like the prototypical edge what rusher people outside think linebacker. Of, yeah, when they he, think I mean, that. he had 13 and a half havoc plays last season, which was pretty impressive. Right. Um, I mean, he played a bunch of snaps, but he had he had five passes defended and six and a half tackles for loss. He's a he's a multi um, faceted defender that can do a lot of different things for you. He is, you know, and we've talked about this. I think we'd both like to see that position continue in their defense that, that mm-hmm. he's sort of carved out um, as his role just because it is different. And I think too, part of it uh, when you're talking about like projections is, is just because of that fact, it's, it's probably a little hard to evaluate him because like when you talk about Taiwan Mullen versus Cam Taylor Britt, like they're doing similar things. And then you look at like Jojo Doman versus another outside linebacker in the big 10 and they're just not doing similar things. They're just, right. his role is just different. Um, so that, that might play part of it too. Yeah, absolutely. Like I do think that, that that's a big part of it. So yeah, I think that people are underselling what Nebraska can do defensively. But at the same time, I, I do think that it's a little bit justifiable based on the results. Um, but I mentioned the word intriguing. I want to pivot a little bit um, because Derek, again, this summer put out his 10 most intriguing Huskers. Um, Cam Jurgens, uh, spoiler alert, came in at number one. You can go and read all of these um, at HillVarsity.com. I'm going to run through the list quickly. Cam Jurgens was one. Samari Torrey was two. Damian Daniels, three. Luke Reimer, four. Matt Sichterman at five. Adrian Martinez, six. Gabe Irvin Jr. was seven. Quentin Newsom, eight. Oliver Martin was at nine. And Nick Henrich was at 10. So I want to start here with you, Derek. As you put together this list, and I guess it's hard to surprise yourself, but I'm going to ask you anyway, were there any names as you kind of jostled the list around and kind of moved things around? 
was there a name that stood out to you that placed a little bit higher than you thought would? Um, I wouldn't have put Gabe Irvin on the list before the spring. Okay. Um, and I might not have you, you played a role in that. I will say, Oh boy. You, you kind of convinced me or, or, or nudged me toward the ledge of, well, Gabe Irvin might be the starter. Um, after the spring, I, I really considered putting Isaac Gifford or Javin Wright in at like that 10, nine, eight range. Okay. Um, and I thought about leaving Adrian Martinez out. Okay. Let me let, let me start there then, because anytime you say something like okay. that about the quarterback, we've got to stay there. Uh, why would, why did you consider leaving Adrian out? It's because you, you feel like you know what you're getting. It's just not as intriguing as some of the other parts. Why would you consider that? Yeah. So he was, I think he was number one in uh, 2018, his first year, the first year that I did this, I think he was number one. And then I think he was either number two or number three, um, heading into the 2019 season, I think like he's been towards the top of the list each year. Um, this year he's at six. I considered leaving him out just because of like what you said, I feel like we know what we're going to get from Adrian Martinez at this point. And really the only question with Adrian's game is, can you stop fumbling the football? Right. Um, because you talk about decision-making. I mean, he showed improvement as a decision maker last year. Now he didn't hit the downfield throws all the time that you want him to hit. Sometimes he didn't see him. Um, but to complete 72% of your passes, it's pretty good. It's a pretty good clip. I mean, he set a program record for completion percentage. And I know some of that is buoyed a little bit by them just not testing teams downfield. So you don't have the the higher degree of difficulty on some of those throws. But still, 72% is 72%. Right. Um, 71 and a half, I think, was the number. Um, so, like, he's a, he's a really good athlete. Um, he looks to be in slightly better shape. Um, looks to have trimmed down a little bit. If he can kind of rediscover the, the freshman year explosiveness that he had, kind of first couple steps, um, that'll be big for him. It's. I mean, really, it's. And they said it all spring long. It's just don't turn the football over. Just, just hang on to the football. Um, and, you know, I think he's averaging a fumble like every 15 carries or something like that. And the quarterbacks ran the ball 15 times a game last last season. Um, so like there are things that go into it that are beyond his control that will help. Um, but he's averaged 1.3 turnovers a game for his career. He's got 20. I just pulled up the numbers in front of me. He's got 27 fumbles with 15 lost and he's got 20 interceptions. Um, just, just hang on to the football. Yeah. And if, if you hang on to the football, he looks a lot better. Um, and you know, we talk about like preference for like these preseason kinds of rankings of groups and things like that. And I said, look at the rest of the big 10 quarterbacks. There's a, there's a case to be made that Adrian Martinez is the best quarterback in the big 10 this season. Um, now that kind of depends on how you view CJ Stroud at Ohio state and sort of the role that he's in the room or the, the offense that he has around him. Um, but just in terms of like what we know about the quarterback, like Adrian Martinez has more experience than anybody not named Tanner Morgan in the big 10. Um, and he's produced more just raw numbers than anybody else in the big 10. And so like contextually he's, already outperforming his peers in the league, just don't turn the ball over. And if instead of 1.3 turnovers a game, like let's say he just cuts that number in half for this upcoming season. Like where do you view him? You probably view him pretty high. Um, He was second last year in the big 10 and QBR just behind Justin Fields. Like this is not a bad quarterback that I think people thought he was after his sophomore year. This is a, this is a, an, a, I would say an average quarterback, an average to good quarterback. Um, and so if he can just limit the mistakes, like Scott Frost said, he thinks that he could be one of the better quarterbacks in the big 10 this year. And that's probably because of the offense that, he, that we think he'll have around him. 
and just the system will allow for a little bit, um, I, I'd say some, some inflation for quarterback numbers um, if it's really clicking. And so like, yeah, like that, I mean, that's, and it's really boring to write about that. Like just don't turn the <laughs> ball over. And that's, that's really the only question with his game right now. And so for that reason, I considered leaving him out, but because he is the quarterback, because he is the, you know, the, he's, a, he's been a three-year starter. He's coming back for, you know, what would be his senior year, if not for COVID and, and all those other reasons. Like you're just pure shocked that I suggested that he might get left out. Like I felt like uh, he's got to be on the list somewhere. There you go. That's how you end up getting there. But like, it's, it's interesting too, because you mentioned that like, you know, it, it is like boring slash tiresome to end up being in a situation um, in which you have, you know, writing about Adrian Martinez again. But the other thing that also was a little like wonky, I guess, to write about it, when talking about Adrian is uh, so much of this also depends on some of these other guys that are also on the list, right? So how does like Torre, how does he end up actually integrating into the offense? Like can Gabe Irvin Jr. be kind of like someone that breaks the mold of freshman running backs like in year one at Nebraska, like in a spotlight where like people are hungry to now see the running back kind of reemerge in this offense. Right. Like, it's just so like, and I know that it's uh, Oliver Martin as well. Like I know it sounds like go back to the first segment, coach speak when the coaching staff says over and over again, that a lot of this also depends on the people around him. And that's before we get to the guy that was number one on the list, Cam Jurgens, um, which directly impacts um, how Adrian does like a lot of that other stuff around him does need to be better. And that is not to minimize the impact of all of the turnovers. And I think that that's been covered at nauseum, but I do think that we have to allow for the outside forces around Adrian, AKA the other players, like them rounding into shape will also trickle down to really help Adrian look better as well. Yeah, I mean, and when they say that, like, the other stuff around him matters for this season, like, that has also been true for each of their first three years. Um, I was on a podcast with uh, some some friends that I had from back in Oklahoma. They're, they're previewing Oklahoma's opponents. I was on their podcast last week to talk about Nebraska. And so, like, they're not watching Nebraska closely every week. And they just asked me um, just very uh, plainly, like, what's going on with the offense? Like, what's wrong? what's not working, uh, what happened to Adrian Martinez. And I was like, well, I mean, it's been a lot of like when Adrian is working, other stuff isn't working. Right. When other stuff is working, Adrian's not working. When, you know, the offensive line is going, no one else is going. And, it, and it's been like that, not just with the offense, but like when the offense is rolling, the defense has an off day, like Illinois. Right. When the defense is rolling, the offense produces 28 points against Rutgers. I mean, like, <laughs> like that stuff, that's, that's just been the case for them each of their first three years. Um, so no, it's not, it's not entirely on Adrian. It's, it's a lot of, you know, you talk about can Gabe Irvin break the mold of Nebraska running backs. Like really you're asking, can he break the mold of like what a typical freshman running back produces in his first year? Um, and, and sort of, it becomes, well, do you trust like the numbers or do you trust like this coaching staff that saw him every single day and watched him work and saw him come in and, and just had like nothing but glowing things to say about him in the spring. Um, really, really high on him. And then, you know, like for Toure, like, you know, it's not, it's not a, a situation like where they, where they brought in kind of Ainoa and they said, Hey, you've kind of been this, like this average receiver at Cal who, who is a deep threat, like just be a deep threat for us, but also we like need you to produce a little bit more right. like Toure has already done it. And like, right. you know, we could, we could argue about the level of play that he was at at the FCS, but he was playing in the FCS playoffs. Um, that's a high level of football. And it's a, it's a level that has stakes that Nebraska hasn't played a game with in a long time. Um, and so like for him, like if he is that kind of player, I think he he can elevate their offense um, significantly more than you know if Adrian completes seventy six percent of his passes, or if Adrian is suddenly a, a you know he's better throwing the ball on that fifteen yard out route or something like that, oh. hits it at a, at a you know five percent better rate or something like that. Like I think there are just some other guys that that 
can can change the profile of this team in, in kind of a major way. It's why, you know, Adrian got talked about in the spring, but we kind of focused on a lot of other pieces around him. Yeah, if you think about it, it does fit. Like, it, sometimes I do sit back and wonder, like, or think about, like, the coverage around, like, the offense or the defense that typically break them out in my mind. Like, it was a lot of talk about what was happening outside of Adrian Martinez. If you just listed out the big storylines from the spring and what will then end up being the big storylines um, at the start of fall camp, I guess in just a couple of weeks, because that continues to sneak up on me. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to be talking a lot more about what's happening at that running back spot. How, how the wide receiver group comes together, because we talked about Torre Oliver Martin, we've mentioned was number nine on your list. And he's got a big role and a big um, say in what happens with that group. What happens with Omar Manning this year? Does Xavier Betts take another step into what people think can be like a a future star? Like there's a lot there. And we've gone to the offensive line and the tight ends. Like there are just, I think that every level of the offense has its own set of questions which is why you end up in the spot where nobody knows what to make of what's going to happen with the offense this year. And the the closer we get to the season, to be honest, the more nervous it makes me about the offense because there are just so many questions that I end up saying, oh, yeah, that could be fine and it could work out. Boy, it could not. Like, and I think you end up kind of in a tricky spot when you have too much of that. Yeah. Mention Omar Manning. Um, I did a thing like before we got to the top 10 where I just said, if we had just done 11 to 20, like if we just extended the rankings, like here's the guys that would have been in that range. Omar Manning was 11 or 12. And like, like I wrote at the time, I was like, if you want to swap him with one of the two wide receivers that I had on my list, like go for it. More power to you. You absolutely can. Um, And then, you know, I have two offensive linemen in my top five. Um, Matt Sichterman at number five and and Cam Jurgens at number one, just kind of like to your point about, you know, the other stuff. Um, like, like I wrote about cam, like he is the swing piece. He's, he's the guy that takes this from an average offense to a really good offense. If he takes that next step, which like I wrote in a, in another column, like a a early prediction that he's going to be an all big 10 center this year. And if he is that kind of center, like, I think that has a significant impact on how good Nebraska's offense can be. Yeah, I really think that I still, uh, I think of every unit on that offense. Um, the offensive line to me has the best potential, and I think we'll see that pretty soon. Um, I still think I agree with you on Cam Jurgens. I think that he has all Big Ten level um, skill um, and potential. I also think the two tackles have that as well. It's going to be hard for both, would be hard for both of them, I think, to break into that this year. Um, I wrote in a piece recently uh, about guys on um, offense that could take the offense to the next level in 2021 and beyond. I had Turner Corcoran off of left offense tackle and Gabe Byrne Jr. Um, as those two guys. And they, to me, kind of go hand in hand based on what the offensive line does. I think Turner has the most uh, potential maybe of anyone on the team. I think that if he lives up to everything he could be, that he could be a first or second round guy. Um, it just has to kind of happen. <laughs> like Obviously, like it needs to kind of all come together and come to fruition. But that's even not really knowing, like, what is the ceiling for Bryce Benhart? And this is a side note tangent, but like he, as a guy who is now getting to, and people kind of forget this, I think, um, did not, was not like fully focused 100% on football throughout high school, right? Because he was a great wrestler. He was cutting weight and doing all of that gets to Nebraska, but he got to Nebraska not as an early enrollee, but as a summer guy and then plays early and, is, and got his feet wet um, and, and is now entrenched at the right tackle spot. I, I think that he's a guy that could also take a big leap. Um, and so I just, I just really like that offensive line. And I think that of the, the position coaches, I like just have as much respect for Greg Austin at his position as anybody, maybe even on the team. Um, yeah. So I just think they're going to be really good. Well, this, this is a question for you that's right in your wheelhouse. Ben Hart, uh, that was his first year starting last year, correct? Correct. First year as a full-time starter, second year with the team. So he's going into his third year. Turner's going into his second year. I mean, this staff recruits, like they think ahead. 
they don't necessarily recruit ahead, but they think ahead and plan ahead. And they're thinking like years in advance. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like when they're putting, when they're putting this class together, they're thinking like, okay, who, like, here's the question that I have for you. When they look at Turner Corcoran and Bryce Penhart, they're in two different classes, but they look at those two guys. The, the hope was that those could be the two pillars of their offensive line at tackle, right? Like they were, when they, when they were looking at those two guys, they said, we're going to put one of them on the right side. And we're going to put one of them on the left side. And they're going to be really, really good tackles for us. That'll be future NFL guys. And we're going to have a really good offensive line for a couple of years with them. Right. Like that was best yes. case scenario. Yeah. That was the best case scenario. Yeah. Because yeah. then you have two guys that are also for their size, very athletic that can do all of the pulling and all of that, that this offensive line requires and has in it when it's functioning at a high level. Yeah. And so like, we're not gonna. We're not gonna see that idea realized this year. There's still. I mean, like I just said, Turner was going into his second year. Uh, Bryce is going into his third year. Like they're still young, relatively. Right. Um, but like that. That's 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 the supposed ceiling for the offensive line. Like those two guys being that level of player. Um, and if they hit it, then you know it's a it's a evaluation and development win for Nebraska and they're better for it. And and if they don't, then something went wrong. Um, but like, that's, that's, you know, that's where we, where we think that this offensive line can go. Um, and that's a pretty good situation to be in. Yeah, absolutely. With, with, and then you always, the thing about, and if, and, and I don't know if this is like this at other places, um, but because we follow Nebraska so closely, it feels like Nebraska also, especially when they're good on the offensive line, has a guy that kind of comes out of nowhere or that was under-recruited that ends up just being a really solid offensive lineman in the program. And it just feels like Ethan Piper is destined to be that guy. Like, it just really feels like that. A guy that had that barely had any offers coming out of high school, but then he gets to Nebraska, he develops well, and you're like, man, that guy's actually really athletic and pretty good. Like, it feels like what happens at some of the other schools in the conference, actually, too, um, like namely Iowa, that always seems to have that guy that's just kind of a swing player that's just a really solid player for you. And you can win with guys like that outside of, like, you know, your pillars on the, on the two outsides as well. And Ethan Piper's story is funny because he was like, Ethan Piper is here and we're hearing absolutely nothing about him. And then all of a sudden, oh yeah, Ethan Piper is starting and he's never giving that spot back. Right. Like it just became a thing. Like he was just there. He just arrived. Yep, just arrived. Good on him. Like happy for him. Uh, But I want to shift gears here slightly because there was something I definitely wanted to get to you with uh, or get with um, to you uh, before we get to uh, put him on blast. And that's NIL. So name, image, and likeness um, came down the pipe. We have like I don't want to, I'm not going to say it's the wild, wild west. I've, I think it's been fascinating to see all of the different things kind of come out of this. Um, and as I've tweeted out a couple of times now, to me, the most interesting things about this have not necessarily been, say, Adrian Martinez signing a deal with Gillette. Well, that's awesome. Um, degree, and, degree. Oh, sorry. Degree. degree, degree. It wasn't don't, even Gillette. I just gave him another one. Don't forget, Drake Keeler had the wonderful tweet about getting his second degree. He did. That was an excellent tweet. Shout out to Drake. Um, That's the only reason I remember what brand it was. <laughs> nice. So it was also, it's, but the things beyond that um, have been really interesting to me. So I want to throw it to you. What, what are there any that deals that have stood out to you or any like applications of NIL that have stood out to you thus far? Okay. So when you first, uh, when you first gave me like this segment for the show, like I just went pure entertainment factor, like, and, and, I like and I told you, I told you before we started podcasting that I needed this moment to fire off a cease and desist order to Buddy Beheim at Syracuse. He is selling Buddy Buckets merchandise. I understand that he goes by Buddy, but Buddy Heald already has the Buddy Buckets nickname. Like, I, I'm going to need him to stop. That was years ago. It's been claimed. Figure out something else. We, we got some like copyright infringement going on here or something like that. Or I guess maybe not because NIL wasn't a thing. No, it wasn't. Yeah. Uh, so maybe, maybe he's 20, like, hey, man, sorry you were too early. When they got blasted in the uh, the final four by Villanova. Um, yeah, stop it. Stop it. Um, I see somebody else is selling T-shirts with the phrase bat flip king. Anything that, that promotes bat flipping, I'm for. <laughs> um, Trey Knox, who's an Arkansas wide receiver, has a deal with PetSmart. 
for his dog Blue, Fantastic. which is that was one of my favorite. Awesome, ones. yeah, awesome. awesome. And also, too, I think that one is really telling because I think the assumption with NIL stuff was that, um, you know, like the star player on the team is going to get all of the attention and, you know, player number like, so you just like rank the scholarship players, like the 67th best scholarship player on the team was going to get nothing. Like Trey Knox had seven catches for 70 yards in six games last year. Like he's not some elite prospect. He's not this like household name. Like I'm probably going to remember the dog's name before I remember his name four months from now. Um, but that I think that's just kind of the the beauty of this is that you can you can um, weaponize it however you want to. Um, there was another one. There's a I think it's a Marshall lineman who is an aspiring musician who can now play shows and make yeah. money off of those shows I as a musician, which is really cool. Um, Jordan Bohannon getting a deal with a fireworks shop is just chef's kit it's just perfect it's just great because he was a, he was a firecracker <laughs> on the basketball court best way to describe him um so that one is perfect spencer rattler uh announcing that he's going to give some of the money back that he makes off of the nil deals i think is a really good thing um i had i had been still on my podcast last week and we talked a little bit about like you know there there are going to be some guys that are going to get caught up in it um and oh, yeah. you know their their play is going to suffer but for the most part like the guys that um, are going to be able to like take care of business and, and be attractive for situations like this. Um, it's, it's just going to be nothing but beneficial for them. Um, the uh, most people might not know this name, but I think it's Cavender, Cavender, however you pronounce their last name. It's a um, a pair of twins that play basketball for the Fresno State women's basketball program. They have like like combined on Instagram and TikTok like 16 million followers or something absurd wow. like that. Like. Yeah people don't know them and they're going to make bank off of this just because they know how to work social media and things like that. And then for somebody like Ben Stilley and Jojo Doman, um, they don't necessarily have like a huge social media following, like they're weaponizing this in other ways and they're doing stuff that's going to be beneficial for people beyond just themselves. So like they're hosting a, a football camp for kids in the area, which I think is super cool. Um, so I think, you know, like we're seeing, um, we're seeing some downsides and we're seeing some, some like, stuff that's going to get is going to need to get worked out but i think uh by and large like we're seeing a lot of people do a lot of cool things and in some cases a lot of good uh with this which is which is cool to see yeah and i think that that honestly overall that is what has stood out to me that there has been a lot more good um than i think a lot of like naysayers or doomsday scenario painters um alarmists were kind of painting about this saying that oh it's just going to be boosters standing outside of facilities handing out checks or money so that they can get deals uh, to get recruits to come to their team or to get players to stay and what we've seen is and while we have seen <laughs> that deal with was it miami with the mma deal or mma gym where yeah. they're paying every is it $200 to every, minimum to every player on the team and while you're going to see some of that and I will be curious to see moving forward if deals like that continue to pop up at other like hungry schools to kind of come back to relevancy like I would I would be curious to see if that's going to continue when you've seen that but you've not seen a ton of that but you have seen a lot of deals whether it was it Derek King actually at Miami that with the quarterback that said that they kind of negotiated another deal for like everyone on the team to be able to be paid the Spencer Rattler one was one of the first ones that I remember seeing at least with the I think it was Raising Canes right that where yeah. he was going to donate money and, you, and there were multiple players that decided to do that um there's one that i i've lost the kid's name um that had like he was he draws antique cars and it, they were really awesome drawings and he's now able to sell those like stuff like that like the one that you mentioned i had seen too the kid that can play shows um was really great one interesting one to me at nebraska even is we we are both beef jerky enthusiast right uh, we love cam jerkins nickname his logo and all of that did you see the deal where matt sichterman designed the website 
for that. And now Matt Sickerman, who um, was number five on your most intriguing Huskers list, they all call him like what the smartest guy on the team, right? When we got to be introduced to him this spring, all of the players were telling you that um, and his background in computer programming, Greg Austin mentioned it as well. He's designing those websites for the, for the team. And so that's great. So then he gets to be involved in that in a different way. I just think that there's a lot of different cool things that are happening with this that go beyond like, Hey, let's see like what the quarterback is being paid on team X. Like, I just think there's a lot happening here. And this is just the tip of the iceberg because it's just going to continue obviously. Um, And that's before you start to get to some of the other, like, and I'm like stunned that this has not happened at Nebraska. Notre Dame's offensive line got sponsored by a beef company out there in Indiana. Like, and I'm stunned that that hasn't happened here at Nebraska. Like that has to be in the works, right? Okay. Some company that produces like PVC material for like construction yeah, like, like somebody that, needs to sponsor the pipeline yeah like that it has to happen like some like yeah. it's just like a, a smaller local business that's trying to get like it like emerge like it has that's to like happen. just waiting to happen wow yeah like, now now i'm shocked that that hasn't happened yet um here's the here's the the, the i think the best thing that nil is, has done and will continue to do um and it addresses like a problem that we have with the way that we view uh, professional and collegiate athletes. We just, I feel like, and, and it's gotten worse lately, but I think it's always been a problem. Um, we view professional and collegiate athletes through this just very narrow prism of like, you are there to entertain me. And so the only value that you hold is what you can do on a football field, soccer field, basketball court, hockey rink, whatever baseball diamond. I don't want to leave anything out. So like, that is what I care about. And I care about nothing more. And anything that you are outside of that does not matter. And like with NIL, I think what you're going to see is that I hope that some of that starts to disappear a little bit because like, particularly in college, like these dudes are smart. These dudes are funny. These dudes are nuanced they have have a lot of (laughs) other passions outside of just football stuff that they're good at like espn does a segment on game day where they like just look at a player that has a weird random quirk or ability that has nothing to do with football like every single person on the team has that stuff and like i think the cool thing about this like we we just talked about a martial offensive lineman that like plays the guitar that has musical aspirations like there are those kinds of stories with every single athlete Um, and I think it's going to be good for just the, the realm of sports as a whole to highlight some of that stuff a little bit more. Um, and I, I think it's going to help the way that we view athletes, which will also hopefully in turn help the way that we treat athletes. Um, and I think there's just a lot of potential good that's, that's going to outweigh, you know, someone cheating or a booster trying to like bankroll a new team which by the way i included in the mailbag should absolutely be a feature that you can enable in a college football game i hopefully they they find a way to put that into whenever we get this next college football game though uh, as a, a quick side note because both you and i each have ps5s um i'm trying to figure out what's going to come out first between the new college football game the Hogwarts game and the Gran Turismo game, the next one of those, because all of them feel like just too far in the future for my liking. Like I'm very upset about this. I thought Gran Turismo was Xbox only. Oh no, that's Forza. No, Never that's, mind. Forza that's Forza, which they actually have now announced a date for that after, you know, no, I don't want to, I'm not going to go into this rant. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Gran Turismo, it was one of the top reasons I even got the damn PS5 and now it's been delayed so much that it's just a question mark on the release date. Um, I really could put Sony on blast for that, but I will not. Yeah, I was just about that. to say, that's your put I, them on I blast. I should actually <laughs> do that, um, but I will not. Uh, but every week we do end the show with a segment called Put Them On Blast where we basically put someone on blast for something they did or said. Put them on blast. Today, I am not going with Sony, even though they just got a mini taste because they, they could probably have another opportunity. I'm actually going with Stephen A. Smith, who I'm actually, I actually think I have not put on blast before, which I was surprised by. Um, and this is for his comments actually today, Monday, earlier, 
this on first take um, for his comments on Shohei Otani, um, in which he said that basically that he doesn't think that it's a good look for baseball to have Otani be the face of the sport or the emerging face of the sport because he needs to have a translator and he doesn't speak English. He has to go on blast for that. Number one, I've gotten really into that story. The Shohei Otani story, I think personally, is the biggest story in sports right now. And I don't feel like people are talking about it enough. He leads the league in home runs. He's in the home run derby. And it's the odds-on favorite to win the home run derby. He's the the number one seed. He's the number one seed. And he's the starting pitcher in the game. Like, he both he is a two-way player that not only – he doesn't just – play both ways like on a day where he's off from pitching like he does both on the days where he pitches like it was something really cool they played the White Sox on Sunday Night Baseball earlier this season in which he's out there hitting and he's running the bases and he's fast too because he's a great athlete of course um he runs the bases he has a hard slide but then and they get out and the inning is changing um and he has to go back into the dugout dust off throw the shin guard off um then tuck his um, shirt back into his pants fix his belt and go back out because he's got to go back out on the pitcher's mound and pitch the next inning like it's just an amazing thing to see because it takes you back to like a little league which is basically the last time that you saw stuff like this because it eventually just goes away at some point like baseball just makes guys choose whether or not you're going to hit or you're going to pitch um and so steve Smith has to go on blast for like trying to i don't want to say throw cold water on because it's worse than that like one of the best stories that we have going right now um i predict that this will be the next and latest like espn controversy that we have going here um and something's gonna have to be done about that because he's not like people are not going to stand for um that type of xenophobia like going out over espn airways because it was not like it was some like random hot take like that was a produced segment like it had graphics that obviously is something as you you and I know, like they talk about those things in production meetings ahead of time. So they were fully prepared for that. No one stopped it. Um, so Stephen A definitely has to go on blast um, for his like latest ridiculous thing that he said. Derek, who are you putting on blast? Yeah, because the caption was like, is 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 he good for baseball? And it was like, yeah, yes. I'm interested in him and I don't care about baseball. I'm always paying attention to this now. Yeah. And I have not like, this is the most I've been invested in baseball in a long time. Yeah. Yeah. They got that situation. They got the Rachel Nichols situations. So it's not, not fun times over at ESPN. No. But, uh, um, well, my put him on blast is in terms of significance, not at the same level as yours. Okay. Mine is just, and it's a very muted put him on blast. Like I'm not mad at him. I just, I'm just disappointed. Okay, oh, that's I'm not mad. Worse. I'm just disappointed. That's worse sometimes. Uh, Gareth Southgate, the, the the manager for English national team. Yep. I just disagreed with the personnel decisions all tournament long, and they made it to the Euro final, Euro 2020 final. They played Italy. They made it to the final. So like clearly stuff worked. Fine, whatever but they deserved to win based off of the talent they had available to them. England did. They did not deserve to lose the final. We had a fantastic final. It was awesome. It was on Sunday uh, between England and Italy. Italy won on penalties. Um, Southgate's sort of, I'm going to play super defensive. I'm going to play on the back foot. I'm going to play super negative. We're going to just settle for one nil wins all tournament long. He did it all tournament long. And it came back to bite him in the butt in the final. They had, in terms of creativity, in terms of dynamic ability from individual players, as much talent as anybody in the competition. And we get into, you know, like they showed it against Ukraine, I think, in a knockout game. And like Ukraine turned off a little bit defensively for, for a few minutes and England made him capitalize. But like, England had the potential to beat teams, every single team that stepped on the field with them, by two or three goals. And they were just content to score once and then sit back and play defensive. And he was hell-bent on playing seven defensive players a ton. He played this 5-2-3 formation that had five defenders. With You just wanted to play three wingbacks all the time for whatever reason. He just loves Trippier 
and Kyle Walker. And then he was, he was beholden basically to Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips in the midfield, which is just two holding midfield players. And in the first game against Croatia, Calvin Phillips pushed forward and he looked to have a little bit of an attacking mindset, which was cool. And then it just went away for the rest of the tournament. And they have Jack Grealish on the bench. They have Marcus Rashford on the bench. They have Jaden Sancho on the bench who are just creative players with, with a penchant for flair. And when they were not on the pitch, England needed exactly what they did well. They don't start the Euro final. He goes with the 5-2-3. And I'm thinking, here we go again. Another defensive, boring game from England. And they actually look really good to start. And Luke Shaw scores in the second minute. And their wingbacks are playing really, really well. And they get a 1-0 lead right away. And they take it into halftime. And then he switches the tactic. Again, and goes back to the park the bus. We're going to play defensive. We're not going to attack. And just played four penalties, which I don't understand why you would ever play to do that. He played for the 1-0 the win, and then when Italy equalized, he played for penalties. And he puts Jordan Henderson into the game, who is not a penalty taker, who was never going to take a penalty for them, to sort of just hold the line until, I guess, until extra time and then until penalties. And then we get close to penalties and there's a minute left in, in extra time. And he decides to take Henderson off and he's going to put Jaden Sancho and Marcus Rashford on specifically to take a penalty. And he puts these players on cold with no warm up, And then they both miss their penalty, which like, it's not always going to happen, but there's a higher chance that that will happen when you put them in, in the way that you did. And then he has Bukayo Saka, a teenager take the most important penalty of his entire life with a Euro title on the line. I just think he mismanaged the situation and they had enough talent. And I'm not saying he did a bad job because again, they were in the final. I just think they could have won and probably should have won. And as somebody that was pulling for England, once Spain went out of the tournament, I was just sad that they didn't win. So I guess, quote unquote, put him on blast, though I'm not really super angry about it. I'm just I'm just disappointed. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. I'm just disappointed in your decision making, Gareth. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed, which is oftentimes worse. Um, and it's funny, though, because on <laughs> so I got into this because I told my wife this. I was like, man, and this was maybe it was not for the final. It had to have been for the semifinal. Where I just saw so many people tweeting about this. And I'm sure this has happened to some of you listening out there. Where like there's a sporting event that you were not watching and didn't necessarily plan to watch it, but you just see so many tweets about it. Like you just got to get in on the action. That happened to me with this soccer, right? And so I'm like, okay, so the next one is coming up. We got Italy, we got England. Like I've got like this weird thing going on on like my Instagram because like a, a few of my like Peloton instructors are like some of them are in England that I really like, and a couple of one of the women has um, Italian heritage, so she's really pulling for Italy. So we've got this thing. I'm seeing it everywhere. Like I can't escape this thing. And so I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna tune in. I don't know all that much about soccer. The only thing that I knew, though, for sure, was that England was playing kind of not to lose instead of playing to win. That's all I really knew. So it's perfect to me that you went and put them on, put the manager on blast for that, um, because that was really the thing that I could comprehend about what was happening. Was even I could tell um, that they weren't attacking enough. Um, which is weird because in these kind of things in soccer, though, like managers get fired for this sort of thing, right? Like, don't they end up like, cause if you've got guys like that, um, that are creative and they had not won in, was it 26 years? Man? It's been a long time. I think it was. Um, and so <laughs> those sort of things get you in a lot of hot water. So I'll be curious to see what happens kind of moving forward, especially considering they have young, exciting players on their team. It's just, it's this is the problem, and it happens a ton with soccer, but it's not exclusive to soccer. It happens in, in a bunch of sports. There's just, when you reach that level, there's sort of an expectation that you're going to be back there. It sort of feels yeah. like, oh, well, we made it here, and we do have young pieces, so we're going to make it back again. Right. I, nothing is, nothing is, is promised. Guaranteed. It's just, no. yeah, you're not guaranteed to be able to make it back there. And I look at... Um, like Brandon Vogel, if he's listening to this, he's he's going to cringe. Tottenham in the Champions League final against Liverpool a couple of years ago. We had Harry Kane, Christian Eriksen. There was just this expectation that we were going to be back in that final because this team finally got over the hump 
we're going to be back, maybe not necessarily in the Champions League final, but at that stage, playing for silverware. And we lost. And ever since, there's been a talent drain from the team. We fired the manager. And now we've gone down each level since then. We out of the Champions League to the Europa League. Now we're out of the Europa League to the Europa Nations League, which is just a joke. And we're going to lose some of our players. Um, there's, you know, like England, they might have the best team going into the World Cup next year. And it's not a guarantee at all that they'll make it to the World Cup final. They could, they, could, I mean, they could get put into a, a group of death and, and not even make the knockout round. Um, so there's just, you know, when you get into that situation, coaches, I feel like coaches on the whole, like, get a little too cute and not think to themselves. Just put your foot on their throat and end the match. Score two, score three, end it. A one-nil lead after two minutes is like the worst thing to have in soccer. The worst yeah. possible thing. Because you're like, oh, wow, we scored. That was easy. Now, I mean, we can get another one because we still have 90 minutes to play, basically. Or we can just sit here and, and keep our one-nil lead. And the other team immediately is like, well, I mean, we still have the entire match to score, so we're just going to keep doing what we do. It's just, it was sad. It was sad to see. It definitely was, um, and that's where we're going to leave this podcast today because Derek is not mad. He is just disappointed. <laughs> uh, subscribe to this podcast everywhere you can listen to him. Uh, rate us and leave a five-star review. If you only leave four, I am inclined to think you're a hater and no one wants that. Uh, make sure you are checking out the other podcasts on the Hill Varsity Network, the Mind Your Own Podcast, Varsity Club, Nebraska Preps, Post Game Show, and the Hill Varsity Radio Show. Um, also, check out the Hill Varsity YouTube page. We'll be back on there at answering a recruiting question of the week with another video with Aaron. Um, you can also find us on Twitter at GregSmithHV and at DrPDHV. Um, you can also email the show at straightupbreakdown at HailVarsity.com. I will catch you next week. A Media Production.